Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Kimberly Munn shares a story about her mother's diagnosis. So I remember the exact moment I was fucked. It was February 19th last year, and I was sitting next to my mother as she was getting an EKG. And the technician who was administering this procedure was just making friendly chit-chat, and he happened to ask who I was in relationship to her. I said, I'm her daughter. And the look he gave me is something I will never forget. He went from this very casual demeanor to something that was full of so much sadness and pity. It, like, it stuck with me. I can still see his face in the back of my mind. And little did I know that that look was something that was going to foreshadow the year to come. So let's step back a moment. The day before, I received a call from my mother's doctor's office. The nurse was calling to let me know that my mother was canceling her lung surgery and that she sounded weird and that they wanted to call an ambulance, which was really strange. And what was strange about that was her trying to cancel the lung surgery. Um, she, has a, she had a cancerous mass in her lung and needed to have it removed. And she, for some reason, she decided she wanted to cancel it. And that was what struck me as odd. The fact that the nurse was telling me that my mother was weird or sounded weird wasn't odd at all. Um, I know a lot of people kind of throw around the term or the saying that their mother is crazy. My mother actually is a little bit crazy in her own way. You see, she's bipolar, and she wasn't properly diagnosed or treated until I was 22. So it made for a fun childhood, to say the least. And so if you don't know anything about bipolarism, essentially people go through these periods of time where they're kind of bouncing back and forth between emotional extremes. There's the manic stage where they... They're riding this emotional high. It's like they've done speed, and they are just excited, and they're productive, and they're optimistic. And it's the highest of highs. And it's a fantastic place to be in and to see somebody in. But then there's the counterpart to that. There's the depression phase. And that is the lowest of lows. And for my mother, she would go through these transformations that were just incredible to me. She would become the meanest, nastiest person version of herself, actually, to the point that I kind of explain it to people as it's like she was being possessed because it felt like another force was taking her over. And I had, I was, there's nothing I could really do to help her. And so I'm the oldest of three children. And when my mother was going through these depressions, I kind of stepped in and I took care of them. And I also took care of her And this was because when she was going through these depressions, she started to drink a lot. And it would get to the point where she rendered herself useless as a mother, but even as a person. There were times when I would come home from whatever as a teenager, and I would have to clean her off the bathroom floor and put her to bed. And so some of you might be wondering, did I have a father? Was he there? Yeah, he was there. He was there. He's an alcoholic, so my memories of my dad are he would come home after work 
And he would go right to his back room where he had a TV, and he would start drinking from the time he got home to the time he went to bed. And I would basically only have two words with him. It would really be hi and good night, and that was it. That's, that's seriously the only memories I really have of my father growing up as a teenager. And so I was always down a parent. But when my mother was down and out with her depression, I didn't have anybody. And my father didn't change his behavior. He still went along his merry way, did what he did, and he didn't acknowledge what was going on. And so, you know, this is a lot to handle. And, and I knew as a teenager, I was like, there's something wrong here, obviously. But I didn't know what it was. This was just life for me. This was what I did, and I was just trying to live it. I mean, essentially, it was my baseline, unfortunately. And so when it came time for me to move out, um, I was 21, and so my mother was still not diagnosed, so we still didn't know what was going on with her. I took all of those emotions and memories, and I packed them away deep into the the back area of my mind. I just wasn't able at that point in time to really process what I was going through, and I sure as hell didn't want to deal with it at that point. I just wanted to move on, just get rid of it. And so going back to that call from the nurse, you know, she, you know, she was saying, you know, she canceled, my mom had canceled her lung surgery, and she sounded weird, and they wanted to send an ambulance. And I knew my mother really well because of the situation growing up. And she was actually a really wonderful mom when she could be. She was the most supportive person in my life, and I absolutely adored her when she wasn't going through these really low lows that I couldn't help her with, really. And so I decided, I told the nurse, I said, hold off on calling the ambulance. Let me talk to her. I know her really well. And I give my mother a call. And she does sound weird. There's something wrong. She, um, you know, I'm like, why did you cancel your lung surgery? This is important. I know she was a little bit anxious about it and scared, so I thought maybe that was the reason. But, in fact, she was telling me what happened that day. And she said earlier in the day she had been driving and was compelled to pull over, stop the car, and just walk home. And luckily she was only like five blocks from the house, so it wasn't a terribly long trip. But along the way she fell. And it sounded like she fell kind of hard, and somebody helped her up and helped her get home. And, and so that's what really stuck with me. I was like, my mom fell. I'm concerned about her. And so I call the nurse back, and I tell her, yeah, go ahead, send the ambulance. Let's see what's going on. And at that point in time, I was in Norfolk, and she's in Newport News. Um, and I was actually home at the time. I was... I had the shitty cold. I was really sick, and so I couldn't go meet her at the hospital. So I sent my sister instead, and, you know, they run some tests. They do some scans, and it turns out that my mother had had a stroke, which is a really surreal thing to hear because I was 29 at the time, and my mom was only 65. So it was just like, really, a stroke? What? 
And so um, they, they keep her overnight to monitor her. And I, the next day, I get my ass to the hospital. And we're, you know, I, I'm just trying to deal with this. And I walk into the hospital room. And when I see my mom for the first time, I'm devastated. She has aged 20 years overnight. She instantly went from being my mom to my grandmother. And I'm looking at her face, and her wrinkles have become so much deeper. And her hair got grayer. And part of her face is sagging from the stroke. And she's having a really hard time with walking. And luckily, she wasn't terrible at communicating, but she was having some trouble. Um, She had aphasia, and if you don't know what that is, it's Essentially, your brain knows what it wants to say, but it can't find the words to say it. And so I'm trying to deal with this while we're, you know, talking to the nurses, talking to the doctors. We're going around doing extra testing. And that takes me back to that EKG and that fucking look that guy's giving me. And (laughs) I I just couldn't deal with it. I just really couldn't. And so, you know, the... That look is really something that just stuck with me. And the year to follow was full of hospital visits, testing, rehab, and even a stint in assisted living. And while this was going on, I realized I was going through this ritual. I, um, well, I would, uh, when I went into that hospital room for the first time, I went into caregiver mode. I really did. I went back to kind of essentially the same habits I did when I was a teenager taking care of my mom. I jumped into that instantly. And that was my undoing because 14 years later, that box of emotions I had tucked back in my head had spilled over and flooded me. And I wasn't ready for that. And so I regressed back to that scared 16-year-old girl who was cleaning her mother off the bathroom floor. And that's a terrifying place to be in. And so I went into that caregiver mode, and there were these points where I essentially would... I would visit her after work almost every night that I could, whether she was in the hospital or she was in rehab. And that meant that I was driving from Norfolk to Newport News or Hampton um, to visit her. And my ritual became not during the visit, but I would go visit her, and whether the visit was good or bad, didn't really matter, I would get back in my car in the evening, and I would just break down emotionally. I mean, I wasn't just sniffling. No, I was bawling my eyes out. And I would drive home that way. And if you're familiar with the HRBT later in the evening, they always close one lane. And so my commute went from being like 25 minutes to 40, like every fucking time. And so I had 40 minutes to cry my eyes out and to let those emotions out. And I began to realize in this ritual that (laughs) 
that I needed more time to myself. Like this solitude in my car was nice, but I needed something more. And also not to be crying while I'm driving. That's like God awful. But, but in that realization, I began to step away from being that caretaker for my mother. I stopped being there every single second of the day. She was in good hands. She was with people who could take care of her, who could really monitor her, and I needed to step away from that. And so I did. And my trips to visit her became less frequent, but more meaningful. And it gave me time to kind of recuperate, to really sit with my thoughts. And I also started doing these little day trips to Grandview Beach or First Landing State Park. And I would either, you know, walk along the shore of the beach and listen to the waves, or I would, you know, go on a nice long walk and get lost in the woods. And those were my moments where I could have internal conversations with myself about what I was dealing with. Because I had never really faced the faced up to the fact that I had a shitty childhood. It wasn't great. And we didn't discuss it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't, it was just life for me. And so those quiet moments of solitude that I had created for myself were incredibly therapeutic and became just a nice way to kind of get away from it all. And I, I started to realize that during my teenage years, I was so incredibly embarrassed by what I was going through. I didn't tell anybody about my life, my situation at home. I didn't want to because I thought I had done something to deserve this or I was something for some reason that I just always felt like this guilt. And through really working it out in my head, I realized that I didn't have anything to do with this and that I shouldn't be embarrassed by something that I had no control over and that I was just doing the best I could. And so I started to talk to my friends a little bit more. I started to open up and let them kind of feel a piece of me. And in exchange, they would do the same for me. And I could... I could exchange conversations and and experiences with them that maybe we'd never told anybody before. And that was a really wonderful experience. And so it was a really big year of trying to find myself and finding peace with my situation. And I have. And you might be wondering where my mom's at at this point in time. And she's actually doing really well. She finally had that surgery um, earlier this year to remove the cancerous mass. And she went through a bout of radiation to, um, you know, clear up any extra things that were going on. And right now she's, she's at home. She's recuperating. She's gotten a lot better with her speech and, and her walking and everything else. And she'll never be the mother that I remember, but she's getting there. And I feel like I'm getting there. Because I realized from really kind of mulling everything over that 
I am the result of all my experiences. Whether they were good or bad, all of those moments had a hand in shaping who I am. And I wouldn't change who that is. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just see the show live, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. We'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.